My name's Tim, one of the elders here. Uh, another welcome from me. We've been going through a series that uh, you've just seen on the screen. is called A Better Story. Uh, we want to look at the themes of uh, sex and God and human flourishing and marriage and relationships. And uh, we want to come back to what does the Word of God lead us to? What is he, what, Jesus says, I came that you may have life in all its fullness. Okay, well, what does that mean in this area? So we're going through this series at the moment. And uh, I'm going to read from uh, Joshua. Uh, I just felt not actually particularly, well, it is kind of linked to today's message, but really as an overall for this series, Joshua chapter 5. And when the people had come to the promised land, Joshua has this amazing encounter with this uh, warrior. And so I'm going to read from chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. Then I'm going to pray and then we'll get on with today's particular topic. And it says this, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servants? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We come to the Holy One this morning. We come to the one who's not saying, You're on that side. You're on that side. You're on your own side. We don't come to the one who we say, God, come be on my side. We say, God, I want you to get on your side. I need to understand your ways. I need to bow before you. I need to take off my shoes and recognize I'm before the Holy One. Understand your wisdom. Understand your ways. Not look at all these other ideas that are out there, but say, God, what do you say? What does the Lord say to his servant? So, Father, would you just serve us this morning by opening our eyes to what we need to hear? Would you come with your compassion and with your heart? For those that are hurting and broken, would you come by your spirit and help us to understand how much you love us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you could see what I was getting at there, is reading that, is that we see that it's so easy for us to look around and think, who, which side does God stand with? Which side? And God would say, now come to me, I've got my own agenda. Come and follow me. Come and let me help you to get on my side. Today we're looking at marriage when it all goes wrong. And I'm aware this is a painful subject for many of us in the room. Marriage is difficult. And for some of us that is much more poignant than others. For some of us that is much more of a painful thing to admit than others. Maybe because some of us are going through difficult Seasons in a current marriage. Maybe some of us are, have a, a broken marriage in our past. Maybe some of us are not married, married and we just hope for marriage to come or we were engaged or something and it didn't, didn't come through. Marriage is difficult. Love is costly. As we've looked at through this series, hopefully we've seen this more and more. Love is costly and if love becomes cheap, it ceases to be love. If marriage is easy and it doesn't require selfless effort, then it has lost something of what real marriage is meant to be. 
And we've looked through this series so far at expressive individualism and how I must be allowed to realize what I feel inside to be able to find my identity and to be able to really have fulfillment. I must be able to express what I feel is going on in my heart. And in, in, in the news over recent years, we see many high-profile marriages ended because one of the partners or perhaps both of them said, well, I've just got to go and pursue my fulfillment. That's often the way that a marriage will come to an end. In 2014, the lead singer of Coldplay, Chris Martin, and actress Gwyneth Paltrow divorced using the method known as conscious uncoupling. This was not simply a divorce. No, this was something different. It was spiritual. It was enlightened. And a proponent doctor of conscious uncoupling says this, conscious uncoupling brings wholeness to the spirits of both people who choose to recognize each other as their teacher. If we can allow ourselves this gift, our exoskeleton of protection and imprisonment will fall away and offer us the opportunity to begin constructing an endoskeleton, an internal cathedral with spiritual trace minerals like self-love and self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. There you go. Simple, yeah. In uh, 2021, singer Adele finalized her divorce from her husband of three years, explaining that she left her marriage in the pursuit of her own happiness. I was going through the motions, she says, and I wasn't happy. Neither of us did anything wrong. Neither of us hurt each other or anything like that. It was just, I want my son to see me really love and be loved. It's really important to me. So she ended her marriage. I've been on my journey to find my true happiness ever since. And uh, the article I read says, her son's questions don't have any easy answers, and that's as frustrating as it is heartbreaking for her. She said, he has so many simple questions for me that I can't answer because I don't know the answer. Like, why can't we still live with dad? That's just not what people do when they get divorced. But why not? And I'm like, I don't know. That's just not what society does. And why don't you love my dad anymore? And I'd be like, I do love your dad. I'm just not in love. I can't make that make sense to a nine-year-old, she added. It can't make sense to me, to be honest. But I'm not here to have a go at these people. I'm saying this is the product of where we are in our culture. I'm not pointing the finger at these specific people. We can think about Philip Schofield ending his marriage to find he can express who he truly is. And he was applauded for it. This is where we've got to. I'm not having a go at these people. I'm saying this is what our culture praises where we are at the moment. I don't know if you know, but uh, this year, the 6th of April, the government in England brought through no-fault divorce into force. And it represents the biggest shake-up in divorce law for more than half a century. It ends completely the need for separating couples to apportion any blame for the breakdown of their marriage. And it's got a good heart behind it. It's because it wants to stop couples having to focus all their energies on mudslinging and throwing accusations at each other, especially when there are children involved, to make it less painful and less ugly. That's the... Uh, 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 goal behind it, and we can understand that rationale. And yet, the outworking of no-fault divorce is that it makes marriage easier to end. And by definition, that lessens the level of commitment 
as there is an easy out. There's an open back door. And if it costs less, it is cheaper. And this is a reflection of marriage in our society. It holds less and less meaning. And sometimes you may have heard the phrase, it's just a piece of paper. And I recently stumbled on a TV program, just another thing, some of you have probably seen it, called Married at First Sight. And um, apparently there's an English one, I would not go anywhere near that. But I watched the American version, at least I think they have some semblance of what marriage is. And uh, I was fascinated as three couples who had never met or even seen one another had agreed to get legally married, having met for the first time at the altar. This is the... This is the premise of the game show. Now, even that sentence helps you to see what has happened to marriage in our society. The game show. Uh, it wasn't... Uh, it was, they have not got... Sorry. So the premise was that having got married at first sight, the show would then follow them on their wedding night, on their honeymoon, and on their first three or so months of living together. And then they would be asked the question, do you want to remain married or do you want to get divorced? It's fascinating. I watched a series of it. <laughs> Got sucked in um, for research. And uh, I, I, uh, I was fascinated by the difference between those marriages who would say, we want to keep the marriage alive. We are trying to build a marriage, making a marriage work. And those who would say, I'm not getting fulfilled by you. There was a difference in the success rates of those marriages. And along those lines, this is a very interesting statistic that I found this past week as well. It's estimated, I didn't know this, that over half the marriages worldwide are arranged marriages. And in the US, while the divorce rate hovers at around 40 to 50%, the divorce rate of those arranged marriages is 4%. And in India, where it is some, some people estimate that 90% of marriages are arranged marriages, the divorce rate is 1%. That tells a story that people who are not searching around looking for someone who can fulfill them, but who are entering into something that they understand is an institution that they're trying to uphold, have something of a success rate that is different to those who are trying to find self-fulfillment. Now... We haven't just come to look at a lot of different statistics and things. We come to find what does Jesus say into this. And, and I'll come on to in a moment that this is not just about what are the rules. And many of you, you do not need rules this morning. And I felt during the worship that there are people this morning, you are in pain and you do not need to be told that divorce is wrong. We will talk about Jesus, what he says, but you need to know that you're loved and that Jesus walks by you and will hold you through what you're going through. There are principles that Jesus will uphold, and we'll talk about them. For there are several passages in the New Testament that teach into divorce. Mark 10, Matthew 5, Matthew 19, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 7. And you want to read them together to get the rounded understanding rather than just a single passage without any context or nuance. If you read just one passage, think about this one. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mother and father. Okay, well, I better believe Jesus and follow him, right? So I'm going to just throw my dad and tell him I hate him. No, there has to be some... Okay, I'm going to read that in context with Jesus who says, honor your mother and father. Okay, so he must have meant something. So we've got to read in context and get a rounded understanding. And so we want to read all around the whole subject in the Bible of what 
God has to say about marriage and divorce. We don't want a restricted view. A broader reading includes all the passages showing exceptions, legitimate reasons for divorce. And we have to remember this. The exceptions are just that. They are exceptions. They are not commonplace. The danger is that those who are wanting to get out of a difficult marriage, anything becomes an exception. Well, I'm really struggling at the moment. Divorce, I'm the exception. And we have to come back to, no, it's an exception. Commonplace is to work through difficulties, and we'll come on to that. We're going to briefly look now at Matthew 19, when Jesus tests the, is tested by the Pharisees. And there are a couple of important things to be aware of in this. First, he is being tested. The Pharisees are not coming to him as pastors who want to care for somebody who's going through a painful divorce or a painful separation. They're testing him. They're trying to get him to get hooked up in his own language or get him into trouble. They're asking him controversial things. We've got to remember that he does answer them, but if you look at Jesus' life and whenever he comes into contact with someone who is an adulteress or someone who's had several husbands or another woman who is known as a harlot, he never condemns. He never quotes book and verse at them. He never lays down the law. He always speaks to them gently. He always extends mercy. His heart is one to heal and to bring peace. He's always kind to them. He, he does call sin what it is. And he calls them to stop sinning. But he is never harsh. He's never accusatory. And if you're here today as someone who has come from a broken marriage, or if you are really struggling in your marriage, you've got to hear Jesus saying, I don't want to shout at you. I'm not pointing the finger at you this morning. His desire is for you to know forgiveness, peace, restoration, life, healing, a better story. That is what Jesus has for you today. Please, please don't hear this and feel condemnation. That is not the voice of the Lord. He may convict you of things this morning. I pray that he does because in conviction comes life and help. But secondly, before we just read Matthew 19, it's important that we know that he is particularly answering a... Uh, um, what is it called? He, he, they've been having a debate that came out of Deuteronomy 24. The, the Bible teachers at the time were having a debate, and they were asking him about this debate. So it's not just general. They were asking him. Some of them thought because of Deuteronomy 24, you could only get divorced because of sexual immorality. And others thought you could get divorced for any reason at all. So even if your wife burned your food, divorce. That is something that was in the ancient text. That was something that was an argument in there. And so they were coming to him saying, which one is it? Which one is it? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? No, Jesus has got another way. He speaks, he answers in a different way. But uh, when they say this phrase, you'll hear it in there, and that's what they were speaking about. So let's look at Matthew 19, 3 to 9. He says this, and it says this, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Okay, so that's the, the, is it the any cause? That's the thing they're asking him. And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus has been asked this very difficult question. And it's really important that we hear what did he immediately do? What was his immediate response? Not just to answer their question, well, it's this way. But immediately he wants them to remember what marriage is. The more important thing for him is to take them straight back to Genesis and say, hey, let's not get start on when is it appropriate to get divorced. We don't want to be consumed with that. We want to be consumed with what is marriage? What is it supposed to be? Marriage is a God-ordained and God-sealed sacred union. Have you not remembered? No, have you not read? You, you know this. You, have you not remembered? This is what is primary. Marriage is a God-ordained, God-sealed, sacred union, not just a piece of paper. Not just, am I getting fulfilled? It is part of God's divine design for humankind. It is for our good. It is for his glory. It protects us from selfish, foolish, self-centered living. And it brings stability to society. And it is not like any other relationship. It is not to be entered lightly, it is not to be held loosely, and it is certainly not to be broken easily. Je Jesus wants to lift up marriage. Firstly, let's remember what marriage is. Let's come back to what marriage is. Let's chew on this. Let's let this saturate us. Let's let this be first and foremost. It is God's desire for marriage to bring two people together, to become one flesh, and not to be separated. That is God's desire. And we need to chew on it. We need to meditate on the sanctity of marriage. And we, when we consider Paul's teaching that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, we see that debates over whether divorce is allowed or not in certain situations, they kind of bypass completely this bigger picture of what marriage is. It's not first and foremost about us and our personal fulfillment. It's not about finding someone who makes us complete. There is a divine metaphor being shown. A divine metaphor being played out in marriage, and that is that God ordained a permanent union between his son and the church. That is the, the, the metaphor that's being played out in every marriage. As God willed for Christ and the church to become one body, so he willed for marriage to reflect this pattern, that the husband and wife become one flesh. So Jesus is saying, don't obsess over whether divorce is okay. Obsess over what marriage is. This is a weapon for us. We need to fight for the other. We need to fight for the marriage, not just to keep it alive, like it's on life support machine in a hospital. No sign of life, but beep, beep, beep. Ah, it's still going. No, no, there's no life here. It's not, no, but, but for flourishing. He wants flourishing. He wants marriages that flourish, that do bring some fulfillment to each other, that do bring some selfless love to one another, that show and display what Christ and the church is in its union. We need to familiarize ourselves and remind ourselves and delight in what marriage is as one of our tools to bring about health and flourishing 
in our marriages. So we look at Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. And it says these, these words which are so foreign to what I was saying at the beginning in the, in the way that we now see marriage as something that should be quite easy to get out of. As long as I can find myself. Now let's look at Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there's a quote from Genesis again. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Jesus is answering their question, and he, in that moment, is loving the church. So we need to get this in the context as well. These people, these Pharisees are coming to him to catch him out, to test him. And Jesus sees himself as a bridegroom. They are asking a bridegroom who is battling on his way to win for himself a bride, who is choosing every moment to obey the Father so that he can be pure enough to win for himself a bride. Knowing that at the end of this road there is a cross that he will be smashed against and crucified on to purchase for himself a bride, to win for himself you. And he is being asked this question, when can we divorce? Imagine how that would have been so foreign to him. Divorce. I am a bridegroom on my way to win for myself a bride. An undeserving bride. A bride that constantly rejects him. And he is on his way to win for himself a bride. This is how we know what love is, the Bible says. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus being asked these questions, and it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down. For them. I want to show you uh, an illustration. I want to warn you before the picture comes up. It's quite a gruesome picture. I'll tell you the story and then we'll show you. Um, if you're a bit squeamish, then just brace yourself or look away. In 2020, a six-year-old boy named Bridger made the headlines because he saved his little sister from a vicious dog attack and suffered injuries requiring more than 90 stitches. Should we have a little look at the picture? Um, look at her face as well as his. (laughs) He said, if someone had to die, I thought I should do it. His dad recently spoke to People magazine about how Bridger is doing and said he and his wife asked how the now seven-year-old if he wishes the scar would go away. And he said, I don't want it to go all the way away. He views his scar as something to be proud of. 
His dad, Robert, said he also doesn't see it as being representative of his brave act. He just perceives it as, I was a brother, and that's what brothers do. It's a reminder that his sister didn't get hurt, and she is okay. Now, there there is a picture of Christ in the church. Can we see the picture of them now, just so you can um, be encouraged that he's all all (laughs) right? Here's a brother who, who, who got in the way of a vicious dog attack at the cost of himself saying, if someone should die, it should be me. And we have someone in heaven who is covered in the scars in his hands who said, I would die so that they wouldn't have to. And at the end, it's a reminder that his sister didn't get hurt. She is okay. This is how a husband is called to love. This is how Christ loves the church. This is what love is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. The primary principle, therefore, for us is that marriage is a union created by God and we should uphold it, honor it, and fight for it. But the Pharisees continue to push Jesus for an answer. Why did the law permit divorce then? See, there were exceptions. There were Uh, times when divorce was permitted. And Jesus explains that divorce came about because of the hardness of man's heart. And he gives one clear reason where divorce is permitted. The Greek word porneia is translated sexual immorality. It's where we get our word pornography. And together with passages in the New Testament, there are other passages showing that there are cases and exceptions to the primary principle, not the law, but the principle that divorce is wrong. And I'm not going to go through all those technicalities right now. That's not the job for a preach. That is the job for a pastoral one-to-one or a pastoral talk with a couple. If you are struggling in your marriage, if you think it seems like there's the only way to go is divorce, we want to help you. We want to walk through what does this say. Let's go through what does God say in this situation. There are pastors in the eldership team, pastoral team. We want to walk with you. Um, through those technicalities. What does God want of you? What does he call you to in this situation? And what if your marriage is really struggling and you think it, it may be that separation is the only way out? Well, let's take a few principles from Matthew 7 and Matthew 18. Firstly, we're called to deal with what is in our own eyes before we try to take the speck out of other people's eyes. The the principle that God would call us to, if our marriage is really on the rocks and difficult, is to take any planks out of our own eye first. To bring that to the Lord. Say, God, I'm really struggling. I'm really angry in this situation. I'm really resentful. Whatever it might be, you just know. I know that I am struggling with this. That's the first place we need to go. Take it to the Lord. Here's a telltale sign. Do you want your spouse to repent of their sin? and be reconciled with you, or, or do you not really want that to happen because you really just want a way out? If you don't really want there to be reconciliation, then you need to check, what's going on in my heart? I, I need to repent of some things. I need to see what God needs to help me with in my heart. It's likely that more people who think they are the exception group, uh, are, 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 more people think they are in the exceptions group than those that really are. We need to ask God, what is going on in my heart? Will you help me with this? Secondly, work with your spouse. Where do I need to repent? Where do you need to repent? Where do I need to forgive? Where do you need to forgive? We need to work together to change what needs to be changed. These are the steps 
that Jesus calls in Matthew, um, Matthew 18 for, for those who have sinned against one another. Thirdly, ask other Christians. And we've done this in my marriage. Uh, ask others, can you just help us? We, we can't come to the same place together. Can you hear both of us and hear which one of us needs to uh, repent and which one, or probably both of us, which need, how do we need to forgive? We ask other Christians who can help us see what Christian commitment looks like in the context of the difficulty we're going through. And fourthly, bring it to the church, bring it to eldership, bring it to um, those who are in leadership and help. we will love to help you. If those steps haven't got you to reconciliation, if those steps haven't helped you to walk out what needs to be worked out, what needs to be worked out, we would love to help you in the leadership in any way we can. And then the Bible says in Matthew 18, if someone continues to sin against you when you've gone through all of those steps, then they are to be treated as an unbeliever. They refuse to repent. They refuse to admit. They refuse to own actually what other people have uh, um, affirmed. That is actually your problem. That is actually your sin. If someone then refuses, then, then they are to be treated as an unbeliever. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about marriage to unbelievers. And so there is something there for us to consider with, okay, well, someone will not... Will not will willfully continue in sin and not, not surrender to God in this, then there are things for us to talk through there as well. So there is a, abuse of the justifications and exceptions. We don't want to just look for a way out. We don't want to be blind to our own issues. We need to ask the question, have I truly done everything I can to restore the marriage, starting with myself? Okay. I'm going to actually ask a, ask a friend to join me and ask him some questions. Rod, who was up here earlier, has, knowing that I was going to speak on this, kindly offered um, to come and help if any way he could. And that would be uh, serving us, I think, if he came and just went through some questions with me. You've got a microphone. Great. Yeah. Rod's a deacon in the church. He's an example. He's a great friend, loved by many who know him at church. Rod was married for 20 years and was divorced 17 years ago. And... Uh, he offered to give some reflections on divorce from your personal perspective that would shed light for some of us going through difficulties, maybe some that have been through uh, divorce themselves. So, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I want to ask you the first question. Tell us some of the things that led to the breakdown of your relationship um, before you got to divorce. Okay, I, I have checked this with uh, my ex-wife, Heather, and she's happy for me to share these things. So, um, We've been married nearly 20 years. A divorce, a, a difficulty in marriage doesn't happen overnight. Or, Okay, there may be catastrophic happenings, but often it's just a drifting away or a failure to deal with, with things. And we'd been um, church workers, we'd been missionaries, um, We'd landed badly in the late 90s, um, by which I mean we'd had difficulty um, serving and we, we came back for health and other reasons. And we didn't, uh, so we were a bit lost, I think. I didn't have to find a, find a good home. Um, we'd had two children um, and we'd lost two children at birth. Um, and there were other pressures. We'd come back with no money. And um, 
in trying to solve that, we got into a lot of debt. And um, I guess I was always somebody, or st possibly still am, who likes to avoid things and think it's better if I just hide up rather than with deal with things that are, that are there. Mm. So there are lots of external pressures, financial mm. pressures, mm. no real home, uh, a few friends, not, not good friends. Um, a church that was neither here nor there for us, I think, mm. if I'm allowed to say that. Um, you know, s struggling, not dealing with things well. Mm. Um, little things becoming big things mm. and just drifting apart a bit. Okay. And I asked Rod to, to, to speak with us because I'm, I'm sure that many of us, not those who have just those who have been divorced, will, but those of us married will, will think, yeah, a lot of this resonates. And uh, are there things that just go unchecked? Are there things that just go unchallenged and unaccounted for? Um, is one of them that I think many of us would think, you know, we all know marriage is difficult because it's uh, self-denial and it is giving up of oneself. And so it's important that we think, okay, am I actually going to take into consideration what might need to be addressed at time to time in myself and in the marriage? What did you do that on reflection, what did you not do, excuse me, on reflection you think maybe we should have done? Um, I could have taken the lead. Uh, um, you know, we men will all know, every man in here will know that, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to express our emotions, difficult, difficult to express our true feelings sometimes, even within a marriage. In a marriage that where there's tension and, and difficulty, that becomes even more difficult mm. because you know that if you approach a subject, then the tension will grow. So... For me, I hid up and I needed to be face reality that we were struggling. I needed to um, just be honest with Heather and, and say, I, I'm really struggling with these things. And I needed to go to God and repent of some of the stuff that I, I hadn't done. There was never any third party involvement. Um, it was just failure to deal with things. The little things, as I said earlier, became big things. Mm. And uh, they're difficult to resolve once you go months and weeks and months and, and years into that into that situation. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And, and I, I'm sorry. And yeah. I needed to go in. You know, I needed to talk to friends really. Mm. Um, when we finally um, announced that we were separating, our closest friends um, said, "You were the last people wow. that we thought would split up." And I guess that's, you know, we can be quite, I don't know, deceitful, but you can hide things when things are going wrong. And instead of being real and saying, I just need help, I need help from my church, I need help from, you know, church leadership, somebody to pray with me, somebody to talk this through, and being, being real with, with one another. Mm. And the space to be real is a vulnerable thing, and for us to be real enough to feel, I'm allowed to say this in this context, and uh, I've said this before, actually, uh, when Ez and I were married for a few years, we had some friends that, um, if Esme was struggling with something, she would tell to her friend who she would pray with and meet up with. And what I was so encouraged by was that I knew her friend would never say, Tim, what an idiot. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't speak to you like that. He shouldn't. She would say, what was your responsibility in this? Or what is your responsibility now? And let's pray for this and let's walk forward. She, what you want is, as Christian friends is when your friend comes and says, I'm struggling, is not to jump to their defense and say, 
oh, what an idiot your husband is, or what an idiot your wife is, but to, to admit, yeah, marriage is difficult. Let's, let's take this to God together. Let's see if we can get you any help. Um, do you want to meet as a couple? Do you want to just talk things openly? No, no judgment, because we all know that marriage is difficult. Um, you, you eventually got to the place where you got divorced. Um, what did you hope that would accomplish? Um, I think it got to the point where I just wanted out. I thought that would be um, the only... I thought it was the only answer, um, even though I hadn't really gone down the track of, of getting, getting help. I thought, I, I just can't handle this anymore. So I thought, you know what, we'll, we'll just go with it. And we'll, we'll split up. We'll, and, you know, life will, will appear the other side of divorce and, and, and I'll have a new life again sort of thing. And did you feel like it, it accomplished what you were hoping it would accomplish? Uh, it, it relieved some pressure points. I didn't, we didn't live together after that, obviously. Uh, and that's, that's obviously a, a great... Um, that would have been very difficult. Um, but it brought a whole load of new stuff that mm. either I hadn't envisaged or was a bit, little bit naive in thinking that, um, that it would accomplish um, it, it, it was horrible. It was um, difficult. I had to tell my mother and father. Mm. I had to tell my kids, or we we told our kids. Um, and the um, yeah, it, it, yeah, horrible's the word, really. It, it's you know, it, it didn't it didn't achieve what I wanted it. Or, you know, I thought it would achieve. I don't know about it, wanted to, but um, I think it was. Um, Everything is tainted from that point, point, you know, from that moment on. Everything, every memory, it's a bit like grieving. Every memory is, is, is always tainted on what's gone on before. And that, that I found that difficult mm. to go with. Some, some friends supported me. Some friends supported Heather. We, we didn't want it that way, but that was the way it was. There was still tension. It was difficult. There was misunderstanding. Um, you know, I'd let my kids down. I'd let God down. I think... Uh, Above all things, that was one of the biggest things that, that came to me. Um, I was working as a nurse in Belfast Hospital, and um, for 10 years, I never told them, the people I worked with, that I was divorced. They just assumed I was married, because I couldn't, I couldn't handle uh, the guilt and shame of saying, I'm a Christian, and I've, I've let, my, let my marriage uh, collapse around me, because that's... That is how I felt. Mm. And um, so 17 years ago, um, what would you tell us about how God has showed himself, uh, how he's shown him, what has he shown you about himself in that time? Yeah, um, we sang great is our faithfulness at our wedding. And if Heather was here, she lives in Northern Ireland, if she was here, she would say, great is thy faithfulness to us. It didn't work out the way we wanted it to. Mm. Um, we made so many mistakes along the way. We should have fought for our marriage, but we, we went for the, maybe the easy option for us. But mm. God has been faithful through it all. We, I hid up for 10 years. Heather went a slightly different route, but essentially we still maintained our faith. And God, over the years, has brought us back and through repentance and um, just understanding of his love and, and goodness to us. He's, he's given us um, 
a life that's worth living again, if you know what I mean. And, and I, I seriously mean that I did 10 years of just hiding up, mm. not going to church, not doing anything. But God is a good God. He's mm. faithful mm. and he, he would just, um, just lovingly put his arms around me and said, you can, you can do this. So we have a good relationship now we, we speak on the phone a couple of times a week and we support one another. Is this you it's, and God or you and your... Uh, me and... Uh, that, yeah, I don't know how to answer that. But, uh, uh, Heather and I, uh, yeah. So, so we've rekindled a relationship. Mm. It, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't easy in the first instance, mm. obviously. You know, you've let each other down. And, mm. but, but God has been, yeah. So, Faithful. He is faithful. And I think, thank you so much for sharing with us. Is there anything else that comes to mind you think worth sharing, you wanted to share? No, I don't think so. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) I can't handle any more. Thank you so much, Rod. Thank you, Rod. Remarkable uh, to love us enough to care and think this might serve some people. So worth sharing. So I want to pray for Rod. Father, I just pray that just in the wake of having shared so vulnerably and openly that you would protect him and that you would encourage him and that you would help us to be a loving church to him and others in similar predicaments in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just finish by saying um, he is faithful. He is faithful. And you, whether you are thinking, I don't know how to get through the next week of this marriage or whether you're thinking, it's just a bit stale, or whether you're thinking mine broke down a long time ago, or we're in the midst of a breakdown. He wants to walk alongside you and help you with this. He wants you to know as well that fulfillment isn't meant to be found in your spouse. It never was. There's some fulfillment we get from marriage, but your soul will not be fulfilled by a spouse. Your soul will be fulfilled by him and him alone. And that's not changed. It never will change. So whether you have been through a divorce, whether you're going through one, he is where you will find your soul's satisfaction, your soul's fulfillment. And that's true for those who have never been married and are single. There is, As we heard last week, there is great satisfaction to be found in him and only in him. That's a helpful thing for us to remember in our marriages when we get frustrated. She's not behaving how I want her to. I don't get fulfilled She's not supposed to be your soul's fulfillment. He's not supposed to be your soul's fulfillment. We find that in, in God alone. Let's, um, let's, let's worship together. Tim and the band, would you come and, and lead us? And, and I do just feel that God, uh, I felt during the worship earlier, just such compassion from God. I was actually just in tears, just thinking, people don't need to hear today, divorce is wrong. People in here saying, I know it's wrong. I never wanted it. It was dropped on me. I thought that it wouldn't happen. And God knows what you're going through if that is you. So I want to pray for you and I want to pray for our marriages. I want to pray. I've heard it said that people think that, uh, I've heard it said that perhaps over the next 50 years, Christian marriages will be one of the best or greatest apologetics around. That people will look at Christian marriages and say, ah, there is something different about Christianity. And uh, I believe that is true. Father God, we thank you for your faithfulness in our unfaithfulness. We thank you. You don't swerve from who you are. You're the faithful one. You're the compassionate one. You're the good shepherd. You are the one who comes to walk alongside. You're the one who restores our soul. Hallelujah. And many in here will think, I need my soul restoring. 
Lord, would you come and just this morning encourage those who are in pain and feel broken from previous marriages? Would you come to those who are struggling in their marriages and help them to have the, the gumption, the, the, the determination to say, well, I must get help. We must. We must be honest. Lord, let this be a characteristic of our church, that we are open with each other. That we say, yeah, we, we, we had a struggle this week. Let's talk to some friends. Let's pray with others. Let's bring others into this situation. Lord, let us be honest enough to say, I need to look at myself and where I've fallen short here. Be quick to repent. Quick to restore where I have let my spouse down. God, we just pray, please don't let this be a place of pride. Let it be a place of humility and surrender to you. We come back again to the Joshua passage. You're not for us or for our adversaries. You're the Lord. We want to bow before you and trust your ways, surrender to them, and know that in them is life. Pray, bless us today. I pray that, that people would uh, be able to respond even today and say, let's, let's get help. Let's speak to people. Let we, let, let's see marriages restored. Let's see lives restored in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.